Welcome to the Brand Community Podcast. Brand communities are the foundation of business growth. They build a human connection between brands and their customers, turn those customers into lifelong advocates, and ultimately grow your business. I'm Sam Heisel, a co-founder and managing partner at Knox, a digital agency that helps brands, artists, and entrepreneurs grow and convert communities online. And I'm Chris Whitman, co-founder of Crony, a creative agency that connects brands and consumers through powerful brand experiences. Every Tuesday, we'll be interviewing marketing leaders and community builders so you can walk away with actionable strategies to help your brand grow and prosper. Welcome to the show. Chris, what's happening, man? How are we feeling today? What's up, Sam? How are we doing? Much. We are good. How's LA? LA is fantastic. Sunny. La La Land. <laughs> Gotta love it. Nice. Um, definitely took my safety precautions on the, on the flight over here from New York City. Uh, That's good. With That's that good. Said, you gotta do that. Exactly. Soon we'll be hanging out in Wormhole. Uh, so we won't even have to worry about flying anywhere, which leads us right into exactly. our incredible guest today, Phil Ranta. He is the COO of Wormhole Labs, which is a very, very ambitious project that he'll talk uh, a little bit more about later. Um, prior to working and helping build this new virtual universe, if you will, um, with Wormhole Labs, he helped focus on building the, the Facebook gamer community by partnering with different creators and gamers to as Facebook continues to build a, a bigger community of gamers on their platform. Prior to that, he played a, a critical role at some of the world's biggest multi-channel networks, so Full Screen, Studio 71. These are essentially organizations that partner with hundreds, if not thousands, of the, the biggest YouTube channels uh, and, and find ways to help them grow their channels and reach more people. I think one thing that's really fascinating, while he was working at Studio 71, over the course of around three years, he helped them grow from the, the multi-channel network, grow from 1 billion monthly views to over 8 million monthly views um, with over a 1,000 different creators. So uh, I found, thought it was an incredible episode. Some of the things that really stuck out to me were, A, um, doing things that don't scale. I think when people are trying to build different communities, it's so easy to think, oh, what's the, the virtual community that we're going to create? Or how can we do this in a way that it's going to service tens of thousands of people? But in reality, and as so he'll dive into deeper, a lot of it's trying to create these personal connections and, and facilitate personal engagement with different channel partners or people that might be a stepping stone to massive community. And even there, it's a uh, scale can be an illusion because oftentimes it's better to have a thousand true fans than a hundred thousand semi quasi fans. Um, the last thing I, I really enjoyed and tons more, but are how brands can leverage tactics of some of the biggest content creators online. I think a lot of these different YouTubers and quote unquote, if you will, influencers are, are pioneering a lot of the different tactics for building meaningful communities online. So I think obviously um, Phil has a lot of experience in facilitating growth for these creators and how he was able to deconstruct some of their tactics so that way you can apply it to growing a community around your brand is really incredible. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I thought it was pretty amazing. I mean, you know, just going back to Wormhole, for example, I mean, this is an incredibly ambitious project. They're trying to build a whole social community in this metaverse that they're creating, um, you know, in this beta mode right now. And it's just really impressive because you think about, um, you know, building entirely new, like, areas for people to interact. I mean, that's that's got to be pretty special. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then also, I think, you know, just in general, like, his seasoned history of helping 
uh, community of creators basically understand that they can actually be brands uh, and how they can monetize themselves and how they can, you know, in turn, by doing that, basically like, you know, bring joy and happiness to the people who are, you know, consuming their content. So I just think it's really awesome. And he's worked across a lot of different verticals. Um, you know, when you think about the MCNs, it's, uh, you know, you've got, you've got foodie channels, you've got lifestyle channels. Um, he's got, he's, he seemed to have like carved out um, kind of in, in the latter part of his career, at least up to now, a really heavy focus in gaming, uh, which is obviously on a, a huge uh, category that's on the rise. So uh, I think that we're going to learn a lot here. Yeah, for sure. Well, without any further ado, Mr. Phil Ranta. Phil, what's up, man? How are we doing today? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, very excited, man. I think you bring a breadth of really incredible experience that'll be super valuable for our listeners. Um, for starters, I know recently you kind of jumped back into the startup world and are doing some work with Wormhole Labs. And I do want to set the stage because I think you guys are creating a very unique product and environment. So we'd love to just start with even some foundational context on, on what is Wormhole Labs um, and how are you really trying to build kind of a thriving community around it? Yeah, yeah. So Wormhole Labs is building uh, or has already built a flagship technology called Wormhole where you can exist as an avatar within a user-generated world um, and then use that uh, avatar to teleport or wormhole across the world to chat, meet, shop, live broadcast, date. Um, it's kind of like a live simulation of the real world created with the power of the crowd. Um, so it's definitely a, a big swing in the future of a post-feed social environment. That's awesome. Hey, Phil, question for you. So that's obviously like a really ambitious project, but, um, you know, are you guys looking to any like certain targeted communities to start rolling this thing out to? Yeah. Well, we think that the, the most natural, uh, first target community is gamers. The idea that, and we're not talking about like esports hardcore gamers, but the idea of people who game. So kind of that whole generation, right, right. because they're already used to, uh, chatting avatar to avatar, right? Most people who are say playing Fortnite or Roblox or Minecraft or coming up through those generations already get it. You know, it's less of a lift. So right. they're a, an initial target market. In fact, we were at TwitchCon last year. This was before I joined on the team as one of the sponsors, and the gamers lost it when they saw the technology. So, uh, nice. but down the road, we want to make sure that it's a place that's or it's a software that's more accessible to all types of people and businesses. Right. That actually makes me think about then that new, the new gaming yeah. network, because uh, that's a more general market, right? Uh, so I'd imagine that that would be like a, a target platform to start rolling this out on, right? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Venn kind of touches on something which is really smart, kind of the same thing G4 did, which is there's 2.5 billion people around the world who play video games. Um, although a lot of their core source of entertainment is video games, there's also a fair amount of punditry that can go into that or lifestyle or what do people that like video games like to wear? What kind of shoes do they buy? Um, it's tapping into a real lifestyle and community. And likewise at Wormhole, we think that there's going to be, you know, a lot of opportunity for kind of tech forward people to use this as a, a way to build community. Um, and as it becomes more accessible and reaches more types of people in different ways, it'll kind of, uh, uh, tighten into a or broaden out to a, a larger demographic definitely definitely i'm i'm guilty like i'm, I'm totally a fan user right because i'm not hardcore gamer but i've been gaming for my entire life so right. uh, i definitely appreciate what they're doing no, over there. same here yeah 
uh, it's fortunate <laughs> I've been able to dip in and out of the gaming world through my career because, you know, when I was five years old playing 8-Bit Nintendo, I didn't right. think there was any career in this sans maybe being a programmer. And now it's just this incredible ecosystem and esports and just a beautiful place to be. It's pretty amazing. Um, well, why don't we take a step back for a second? So, you know, obviously you were number nine at full screen and, you know, made a huge impact there. I'd love to just kind of hear about uh, the challenges that you're facing over there, what you, what you guys are trying to do to build it up to, you know, the number one MCN at the time and, uh, you know, just kind of hear about the, the creator community that you built over there. Yeah, it was interesting. So at the time when I joined full screen, I knew that Machinima existed. I kind of heard a little bit about Maker. I had already been working in digital content, but mostly on, say, the mobile phone side or the brand side um, for about seven years at that point. Um, but you know, when full screen came about and they said the initial pitch to full screen was... It's an MCN. We're going to be working with creators, but it's going to be really technology-backed, right? They were the first mm -hmm. ones to create a creator dashboard, for right. example, where they could access and see things. I thought it was just really smart. So as somebody who had been a creator and who had worked a lot on social platforms, um, I joined as the first head of network. Um, and frankly, I was surprised when we started reaching out to creators we thought were interesting. Most of them never thought about themselves as businesses. You know, they right. Most of them didn't even monetize at that point. It was 2012. So, you know, there was really, you had to directly apply to, to get monetization. Um, so MCNs were kind of a sneaky way to get people into this ecosystem where they can start making money. Um, and then at that point, it was just really kind of organization and value proposition. You know, we scaled the team very quickly. We got really tactical about how we grew channels and how we advise channels and how we do our outreach. Um, and yeah, after joining, I believe it was seven months later, eight months later, according to Comscore, we were already the biggest MCN in the world. It is. It's wild. Were there any, um, were there, were there any like pitfalls? Sorry, Sam, to jump in, but were there any pitfalls that existed, you know, in terms of, you know, join the full screen community versus the machinima community or, you know, like what was the competition like in, in that regard? Yeah. I mean, a fair amount of it was just built around branding, you know, machinima, mm -hmm was so big in the gaming world. Maker was big in the kind of high-end comedy celebrity world, I guess, just because it was started by, you know, Shay Carl and, you know, whereas we, where we saw our niche was um, a lot of the kind of brand-friendly channels that nobody else is paying attention to. In fact, we kind of started in the upper mid-tier where we can kind of introduce these already big YouTubers, right? These were people with hundreds of thousands of subscribers, which at that time was the equivalent of millions of subscribers who didn't, who never really talked to a business person about how to run their channel as a business. So we started introducing the concept of this is how you track your CPMs. This is how you can increase your CPMs. This is the power of collaboration and how can we help you set up collaborations? We started introducing more brands into their world um, so it's really, it's the stuff that you look at now and say, well, duh, that's how everybody does it. But back then it was really novel and interesting because really no one had paved that path yet. Yeah, no, that's crazy. And I think it's, I mean, how did your experience in scaling full screen differ from what you did at Studio 71? Because I, I know there it was, I mean, similar exponential crazy growth. I mean, growing the network from over a billion to from 1 billion to over 8 billion monthly views. Uh, and then as well as kind of establishing this community of uh, a, a thousand different creators. 
Yeah, I mean, Studio 71, even though both were, uh, I guess, quote-unquote MCNs, is a completely different world and a completely different value proposition. I think it's Studio 71 since they started as The Collective, which was a Hollywood management company, and then kind of backed into digital, whereas Full Screen started as a digital company and then ran after the MCN thing. It's just a completely different mentality. So everybody wanted it was more about working with top creators like Billy Singh and Rhett Link and The Rock and Roman Atwood. Um, it was a, We were more specific about who we approached. Um, we were, you know, a little bit more lean in when it came to the management and the brand side. Um, so really scale on that side was more about how do we build a hyper white glove, hyper premium experience for people who are in our network. Yeah, no, that, that's amazing. And then when it comes to some of the best practices, because I, I think in both full screen and Studio 71, I mean, the, the growth is phenomenal across the, the just general kind of the, the portfolio and, and network as a whole and how many views and different creators you're able to really bring into the network. What have you learned when it comes to growing communities? I know you were kind of both growing communities on the creator side as well as helping the creators build up their communities. So what have been yeah. some of the biggest takeaways that you've seen when it comes to kind of unlocking that, that serious, serious growth? Yeah, I, well, a lot of, especially on the creator side, um, a lot of building that community is about building trust, right? Because there's a lot of people trying to work their way into their universe and take a revenue split. Um, so if you're really value-oriented and you appreciate their time um, and you're very specific about what initiatives you bring them into and how you bring them into those initiatives. Um, and, you know, that's really kind of the secret there. And then making the, the creators a community of their own, right? Is when you're in something like Full Screen Studio 71, how do you make everyone feel like they're part of this brand, right? And it's not just sending t-shirts, but, you know, down to the roster level, if you have a, a talent manager, how do you make sure everybody who's on that talent manager's rosters feel like they kind of know each other and they're on the same team and they're working together? Um, is that, I mean, is that just curating a lot of introductions or tactically, how are you building that community amongst creators? Yeah, it's, it's some of its introductions, some of its collabs, some of it's just making sure that when you're at VidCon or when you're at Playlist Live that you're doing something special, right? And yeah. um, you're, you're uh, tied to the hip to your top clients and you're making sure that they're getting all their needs met. You know, for sure. Um, it really is the little things, you know. No, I like it. And I know even in, in tech, I think it's like Paul Graham has been very popularized for say, or it might be somebody else, but like do things that don't scale. And I think when it comes to like community, that that human touch and that human element, especially it goes a long way. And I, yeah, obviously you can't necessarily do that for the, the 8 billion monthly views and all those. But when it comes to channel partners, and if you have like 15 people that are uh, kind of the stepping stone for a billion views, being able to have that human personal touches is, is a super valuable asset. Yeah. That being a YouTuber is the illusion of having a one-on-one -on -one connection anyways, especially when you're a vlogger, right? So you're, it's, it's you talking to you. Um, and even though you're talking to 5 million yous, you're still one person talking to one person, right? So yeah. when it comes to building community on that side, it's always important to, you know, know your audience really well know what they value, make sure that you're delivering what they want. But also it's such a buzzword and it's so gross, but being authentic to who you are and to, to who, what they expect um, and not authenticity as a, I'm going to tell you what my boogers look like, right? Like it's, it's not, it's more just like having a real brand, 
knowing what your brand is and knowing why people value you. And then uh, just being really earnest and honest around developing your audience around that. Yeah, that's interesting. So we met at PAX East, right? Like right yeah. before the pandemic right, happened. Right, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, think, I think Facebook actually had told you guys not to travel and you, and you still went ahead and did it. <laughs> yeah, they, well, it was kind of the, the closing the door on it. Right. Like at that point, I already knew that, you know, this might be the last chance to see our talent. And uh, I knew to wear a mask and to wash hands even right. because I was watching the news out of China. And I'm like, all right, they're, they've been through this, so I'm going to take a cue. Um, but yeah, we wanted to make sure that we were taking care of our community and we knew they were going already. So, so had to do it, you know? Right. I remember like avoiding touching any controller whatsoever out there just because I did no demos. Yeah. I didn't do any demos. (laughs) I tried to minimize my time in the conference hall. Mm -hmm. You know, we were playing it super, super safe. Yeah. But that's like, you know, it brings up a good point. That's a really competitive environment, right? Bringing talent and and putting it under Facebook's umbrella or, you know, if you're looking at Twitch or, you know, Mixer or any of the guys that were at play during that point in time, what was that like um, in that environment? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, Facebook's value proposition is extremely different to a YouTube or a Twitch or even a Mixer was at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because all of uh, Facebook streaming is built on top of pages technology, right? Which at its core is building a community by putting up posts and live stream is a different type of post. Whereas on Twitch, it's like a channel and you're targeting people through video, through live video, and they're responding back through comments. And that's kind of the beginning and the end of the story. We were looking for those more, let's say community oriented streamers, um, and some that, frankly, were like when we signed Ronda Rousey, somebody who was just popular on Instagram and Facebook was a gaming enthusiast. And then it was kind of introducing them the other way, which is showing them how to stream, how to kind of show their love for this, and then launching them through game streaming that way. So um, it presented a lot of really interesting challenges, but also a lot of really interesting opportunities for you know, traditional celebrities kind of the non-hardcore gamers or the gamers who wanted to, to take their community to the next level and be able to, to integrate them in different ways. Nice. Did you guys, so when you were onboarding talent over at Facebook, would you give them, because this might be relevant to any brand out there, but were you giving them any sort of playbook in terms of how to engage with their community authentically or, you know, any just kind of like key points of, uh, you know, beyond just kind of like their personal celebrity and just streaming, what were some of the things that you guys would advise them to do? Yeah, well, I mean, we had kind of our bland playbook, like anyone can access it online, best practices. Right. Um, but when you got down to the talent manager level, you know, a lot of the advice was specific to them and their communities. And a lot of it is looking into the data, seeing what's working and what's not working and developing their communities that way. So, you know, for example, I'll, I'll go back to Ronda Rousey. Um, she has a really interesting community because she's got a vlog that's about kind of sustainable farming and uh, kind of her vlogs about living on a farm. Um, she also naturally has her WWE and, and MMA uh, audience. And then she also had a gamer audience. So we're trying to figure out how we could bring all of those things together and really celebrate all of these as one thing. Um, so a lot of it was how does she keep her style which is a little in your face um, while also uh, doing kind of the, 
the non-core gaming stuff, which was mostly centered around Nintendo and fun and a backdrop to let her personality shine. Um, and we really grew the community that way, which worked out really well. Interesting. And then would you extend that onto, you know, platforms like Instagram and, you know, what, what was kind of like the content strategy around that? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's also exists on a creator level, too. A lot of times people want their, they want different platforms to show different sides of themselves. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of what uh, Rhonda was using Instagram for was kind of promotion and alerts to I'm about to stream. It's going to be really fun doing these things. But she was also kind of doing snippets of her vlogs and also pictures of her with her, you know, celebrity friends. Um, so Instagram was used as a way to kind of fill out her personality. And then Facebook was used as kind of the, the hub of her content. Interesting. That's awesome. So, I mean, what's been fascinating too, and even in referencing examples like that, it's like creators are so often at the forefront of building audiences online. Um, so much so that I, I think they're kind of like the early adopters paving the way. And then we see brands try and leverage a lot of the same tactics that these different creators or internet influencers, if you will, are, are going about approaching building their audiences and brands. What, in your experience, having worked with so many creators and doing so at, at scale, what have been... What, it, from now working on the brand side and looking to scale and launch a brand, what are some of the, the core elements that you've seen lead to community growth around creators that you think brands should take into consideration as they're evaluating their community growth strategies? Oh man, we could write a book on this. Um, <laughs> I, would, I would say that the A number one thing is really knowing your brand and, and, not, and not faking it, right? Not what your brand wants to be, but what your brand is. Um, because like, if you look at somebody like, I don't know if you follow Wendy's on Twitter, um, but genius, genius, genius community building. Um, it's, it's very kind of funny and in your face. They do rap battles with other fast food restaurants. Um, and the way that they did it was uh, acknowledging that Wendy's is a burger brand and that they're a fast food chain and it's a little corporate-y. And then becoming a little meta and turning it on its head and kind of forcing the branded message in in a way that somebody who is kind of commenting or making fun of the fact that they're a corporate brand is doing a little bit. And that's what made it really shine, right? Where it was still like, this is a brand for Wendy's or an offshoot for the brand for Wendy's, but also it's community building because it's genuinely funny and it feels really human. Um, it's kind of the same way when you look at uh, brands and, and creators is like, how do you create like a creator through the lens of your brand? The only way you can do that is really knowing the lens of your brand. So if you're, you know, State Farm Insurance, you're not saying, well, State Farm Insurance is the most punk rock thing in the world. And, you know, like what we're sexy and sleek. Instead, it's like knowing that, you know, you're, in a, you're a utility that a lot of people need to access. Then how do I uh, build a community around understanding that we're, a little bit more straightforward, a little bit more functional, but also a lot of gamers could really use us. So maybe we do want to, you know, sponsor the big gamers in a, in a really interesting way, you know? Totally. What, what are some of the, you know, you, I know you, you talk a lot on LinkedIn, for example, I follow you. So you've got a lot of ideas and a lot of opinions and, you know, I think it's really valuable. It's awesome. Um, and you've obviously got this just huge breadth of experience and building communities. What do you think are some of the most common pitfalls that you see and come across, you know, 
whether that's in your own work that you've done over, you know, historically or like, you know, what you've seen, what are some things that you think that, you know, brands should watch out for, uh, things that they should be doing, uh, you know, maybe uh, ahead of time in order to like, you know, crack for that. Totally. I mean, the number one mistake that's always been made by brands and is still being made by brands every time is being overly obsessed with the follower numbers, the view numbers, the engagement numbers, because that leads you to growth hack rather than really grow fandom. Like I would rather have a thousand diehard fans who are absorbing my every word and transacting around me. And if I tell them to go to a concert, they'd go to a concert than a million casual fans that might check me out here or there. I might show up in their feed, you know? And the reason why is like, if, if you're, if you become obsessed with the numbers and all you care about is the numbers, then that's a really flimsy fandom that goes away really quickly. So you got to just keep paying into it. You got to keep growth hacking and, you know, and you start to see that with a lot of, you know, top YouTube channels that kind of go away is people were doing something that was gimmicky or clickbaity. And then the market becomes saturated. and A lot of people start doing it and then they disappear. And they said, what happened? I had 2 million subscribers and now I've got 30,000 views per video. Well, you never really had those fans in the first place, right? You were, you were kind of bringing them in, but not really taking care of them. Um, and all, so more than half of the brands think about things this way. And it's, it's really frustrating, right? It's like, how many likes can I get on this tweet rather than, is this tweet causing delight in my community? Right. Um, so once, the ones that have solved for that and really built it out, they're going to be benefiting from these programs for years because their fandom isn't going anywhere. Like Wendy's on Twitter, you know, they had a little bit of controversy a few months ago when they went dark for a week. They came back and they were still strong. And the reason why is because people genuinely like their content and they genuinely want to see what they have to say. And I think that more brands need to start thinking of their communities in that way. Yeah, that's interesting. That makes me think about, you know, at the end of the day, right, a brand is trying to make a sale. Uh, but you want to make sure that you have these diehard super fans, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who have you seen that's done a good job in this, you know, just across social in general, but who do you see that's done a good job of like interweaving kind of like, you know, D to C commerce uh, with, you know, content strategy? Yeah, so many. I mean, I think that Chipotle's done a great job kind of being on the cutting edge. They jumped into TikTok before anybody else that I saw in terms of brands and they, they crushed it. They did great. Um, I feel yeah. like a lot of, yeah, a lot of media brands um, jumped into YouTube in the right way and started building it. And frankly, in our early days of the full screen and even over to Studio 71, we did a lot of kind of brand launches. We worked with The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and a lot of Fox properties to launch their YouTube channels. Um, and it was an education. It was like, don't just put up your commercials, but put up exclusives, things that have real value. Um, they were all great at it. Um, you know, the, the D to C stuff, and I mean, so many are doing great. Target's been doing some really interesting stuff through the years, especially when it comes to working with influencers and kind of bigger stunt style stuff. Um, even, you know, I don't know if you've been seeing what kind of Burger King, uh, has been doing with their kind of uh, lightly roasting McDonald's mm-hmm. um, through their digital strategy. But I thought it was really shrewd and smart. You know, like when you're trying to hit the Gen Z market and you're Burger King, like how do you do it? Well, you lightly make fun of your competitor, right? And they did, I think it was, I'm going to get this wrong. So uh, you might have to correct me later, but 
I believe that they did a thing where you could uh, get a free Whopper, but only if you ordered it from a McDonald's parking lot. Right. So you yeah. had to go to McDonald's parking lot, order the free Whopper, and then go over <laughs> that was to brilliant. Genius, right? Because it's yeah. their way of saying, like, <laughs> you know, we're going to flood uh, our competitors' parking lots with non buyers, right? Right. Uh, yeah, it sounds like the key takeaway is look to all the fast food brands. <laughs> fast food brands are great at it, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that also they, because they depend on young people, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of the brands that depend on young people would like what, even what Totino's Pizza Rolls did with uh, uh, Tim and Eric, really mm-hmm. abstract stuff. You're starting to see it kind of seep into television commercials too. A lot of it feels like YouTube when you're a Gen Z brand. Like they'll actually have stuff that feels like unboxing videos or beauty videos. Um, and it's just they they know their market and they know where their market is and how to address them. And a lot of it's through online content. Yeah. No, it's amazing. So I, I think now as we come to, to a close, we do have one question that uh, we like to ask all our guests. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of what you've already said kind of sets the stage well. But if you were starting a new D2C direct-to-consumer product company from scratch, A, what would the product be and how would you go about building a community? Oh, geez. This put me on the spot. That's um, right. That's right. <laughs> best, best ideas come, man. Right. Totally. <laughs> Now, if I was starting a D to C, this is going to sound really bland, but it's also true. I would be looking at uh, items that lead to not just a social distancing world now, but a social distancing future. So I'd be looking at um, how to get hand sanitizers uh, into people's uh, pockets or into their lifestyle in a more scalable way. I would look at kind of the fashion around masks or how to make masks a little bit more accessible and interesting. Um, I think there's a D2C brand that's supposed, that should be popping from there that, frankly, we've seen dropshipping companies kind of take over. Um, because I think a lot of people think that this mentality is temporary, and I don't. Right? I think that 10 years from now, you're going to see people wearing masks on airplanes too. Um, and the way that I would go to market with it is I would go through the style community. And say, look, this is something we all have to fight through. Gen Z is hyper aware about kind of public good. So they're more likely to be the wear a mask type of people or the wash your hands type of people. And if they can have something that's like novel and interesting um, and something that actually like can go with outfits uh, and make you look different and elevated, I think that you could have a real winner there. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. And when you say go through the style community, what exactly do you mean? You mean kind of partner and collab with different creators or influencers that already have a, a big community in that world of style? Or what do you mean? Oh, yeah. I would start with Instagram stories and swipe ups and work my way through there. You know, mm-hmm. like Instagram stories is still, even though a lot of people are buying against it, it's still one of the best kept secrets in the world in terms of conversion. You put up mm-hmm. a good story and get people to ask people to swipe up it crushes any other type of conversion on any other platform mm-hmm. by far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 For sure. There we go. Well, uh, let me know when you uh, release the mask so I can be, we can be styling <laughs> together, man. Um, as soon as I find some free time, I'll do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, where I'm inside. You're not busy at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, Phil, really appreciate you coming on. I think all the work you've been able to do, the communities you've been able to build, and uh, everything that you've got in store with Wormhole is truly incredible, man. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing some insight. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is great. Thanks, Phil. Thanks. 
Damn, well, that was a great episode, man. What do you think, Chris? That was pretty powerful stuff. I mean, Phil's got a lot of background in, in helping develop communities and galvanizing communities. And it's just, um, you know, it's, it's awesome to hear from somebody like him who's done it at, you know, such an impressive level of scale. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, especially being able to not only drive growth across all these different businesses, but largely doing it in a way where he's partnering with and facilitating uh, community growth with different creators. So I think it's uh, really interesting. I think his perspective as to how he would scale the DC brand was, was interesting as far as really doubling down on Instagram stories. I think there's a lot of merit to that. I think uh, the ability to get super targeted and run very fresh creative is, is very very strong there. I think to the extent that you can co-create content with other influencers um, and potentially run that and boost that as paid creative in paid media campaigns is also a powerful tactic. Uh, I think his experience in ensuring that creators are building and creating lots of very interesting content and using that to consistently grow their communities over time is uh, is largely what's been at the foundation of a lot of the growth that he's helped spearhead. And I think that's one thing that brands really need to lean into a lot more is finding those unique ways to create non-directly promotional content. And I think even when it comes to some of these different, like uh, the restaurants or different brands he mentioned, it's because they're finding these fun ways to create content that isn't overt promotion, which ultimately then flattering back to the point you made, Chris, is I mean, you want to facilitate these transactions by building that level of engagement, that level of community, that connection, um, that by creating this fun content that isn't trying right off top to build and, and facilitate that transaction, you're setting yourself up to make that transaction. So it really stood out to me. What did you, what, what stood right. out to you, Chris? Yeah. And it's, and it's all tri trial and error, right? So, you know, we're, we've got these dynamic communities and, um, you know, there are lots of different ways that we can authentically engage them. And so, you know, just kind of being nimble and being able to, uh, you know, you know, think about that thoughtfully, I think is really important. And then, you know, taking some risks, right? You brought up how, you know, Wendy's was, you know, doing some light trolling. Um, he obviously, like, you know, called out how Chipotle was the first brand on TikTok um, from a QSR, which is a quick service restaurant for those uh, who aren't familiar. Uh, one of the first brands on TikTok, and they crushed it, um, you know, if anybody saw that news. So I think that's really, really cool. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, like, I guess we all got to get in the business of social distancing, right? So uh, it sounds like that's where the big money is at. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Well, uh, there you have it, Brown Community Podcast Hot Take. Uh, we appreciate your support. Hope you found this valuable. Um, and we'll be back next week. Thanks again.